My heart's not proud, O Lord, nor haughty is my eye. I do not occupy myself with things too great or high. My spirit I have come, my heart is pacified, my soul is like a little child close to its mother's side. Just like a little child, my soul is calmed in me. Can I invite you now? Can you hear me? Yes? Okay, yeah. Can't hear myself. To turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13. I'll just check the page number here in the, in the church Bibles. It's 1081. Um, Sinclair has been doing four scenes in the life of Jesus. He says four scenes that we don't normally celebrate along with Pentecost and uh, Christmas and Easter. Um, and the preaching committee uh, have planned to have gospel preaching, if we can, or preaching from the gospels um, in the morning services. Uh, we've also planned to do Nehemiah at the moment in the evening service. And so... Um, I've chosen to take a little scene in Jesus' life from John's Gospel, chapter 13. Um, it's one of the classic texts uh, for service Sunday in, in churches, and therefore um, it's a big challenge for any preacher. But uh, having fallen flat on my face many times cross-country running, I don't care if I fall flat on my face today. Maybe the Lord will help us. Let's read together. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel round his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, 
Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath need only wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to look at that, excuse me, while I turn up my own Bible this time, because you know where things are in your own Bible better. Um, In John's Gospel, he had a plan so far that the sign preceded the statement or the teaching. And he's changed this around now. He starts with the teaching, and then the sign follows. And also, there's a new section in the Gospel um, introduced by, it was just before the Passover feast. Um, And here is the statement that um, precedes the signs that follow Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And this is going to be the key for understanding what follows in the verses that I read, but also going on through crucifixion and through his high priestly prayer and even through his resurrection. He's going to show them the full extent of his love. That's the NIV translation, our church Bibles. If you're using an ESV, Um, Now, having loved his own, he loved them until the end. That's a more literal translation, but what does that mean? It it means basically what NIV has paraphrased it at. There's a purpose to Jesus' love. There's an end point that he is trying to get to in the love of uh, his disciples. And this is a demonstration of that end purpose. In these verses... And in the story of his praying with them, his crucifixion and his resurrection, he is showing the purpose of his love, the end point of his love. He is showing them the full extent of his love. And my prayer is that we will see the full extent of Jesus' love today. If you take this verse and this passage, it stands between two great high points. At the beginning of the gospel, we have the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so that will inform what we see here. We are seeing the glory. We are seeing the grace. We are seeing the blessing for which Jesus came. How do we see the full extent of his love? 
see it from that mountaintop. But then, of course, at the end of the gospel, John says why the gospel was written, John 20, 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We don't just see the grace and glory of Jesus in this passage. If we have got it correctly, when we see the full extent of his love, we will believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we will have life in his name. That's why John includes this. There are no unnecessary, superfluous stories in this gospel. Papyri costs lots of money. I think it was Chekhov who said, if in a play you see a gun in the first act hanging on a wall, you better have it shot by the second, or it's, not, it's no point of it being there. This, this is all part of that great plan to bring us to faith, and through faith to bring us to life. So, there are three sections here. To see the full extent of Jesus' love, we, we see it first in verses one, 1 to 5. We see it in loving service. And then in verses 6 to 11, we see the extent of his love in, in loving sharing. And then in the last uh, verses 12 to 17, the extent of his love in loving sending. So loving service. What can you say about this? If you've been a Christian, you've seen this, read this, heard about this so many times. It is so easy to miss the shock that this would have been for the disciples. We live, even these days, in a Christian culture which is not shocked by service. In fact, even many people who have abandoned the root of Christianity still have the fruit in their mind of service being a good thing, but not in the Greco-Roman world or in the Jewish world that Jesus lived in. In the Greek and, and uh, Roman world, and if you worked with your hands, if you cleaned, if you served food, if you dug in the fields, if you wrote letters for your master, that was inferior and demeaning. You were a slave because the gods had ordained it, and there was no point trying to fight against it. Um, <laughs> it would demean a freeborn Roman citizen or one of the Greek nations to serve. You were to rule. You are to fight in the army. You are to lead, but not to work with your hands. And in the Jewish world of Jesus' day, it was the lowest of the slaves that would be given this task. It's almost as shameful a thing as the crucifixion. Almost, but not, obviously. The whole point of the cross is not just to kill somebody, it's to shame them. And likewise, cleaning feet is a shameful thing in that culture. There are many parts of this world, missionaries will tell you, where you have to watch how you sit so that you don't have the sole of your foot facing another person, because that is unclean and disrespectful. 
And if you remember the, uh, the ruckus that happened in um, the United Nations, I can't remember which nation it was, but he was banging his shoe on the table to emphasize his point, and that was to show his utter contempt for what was being sayin, said. Do you remember when Saddam Hussein's um, statue was knocked over in the liberation, or what you call it, of Baghdad, and a number of the people from Baghdad were banging it with their shoes to show their utter contempt for uh, this person and this statue. It is a contempt, just a contemptuous thing to be a servant. So to see the shock, it's, it's not easy. Um, I remember, you, many of you won't remember being younger than this, but oh, it must be well over 15 years because it, it happened when I, we were in our, our last house. I was cleaning out the soot from a gas fire and cleaning all the, 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 the hearth place and listening to the radio and the news of the Queen Mother's death had come over the radio. And my first thought was, my goodness, I bet you the Queen Mother, much as she's loved, and I do, I did admire her, um, she would never have to go down her knees and get her fingers dirty with soot. Um, you know, never even consider that. And then the doorbell rang. And there was the queen herself with her pink gloves on and a wee caddy saying, I've come to clean your toilets for you, John. Now that bit didn't happen. The first bit did. <laughs> but can you think of the shock, surprise? Oh no, <laughs> for me, your majesty? And you go along to McDonald's and in the drive-thru you, 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 okay, you admit you go to McDonald's. Okay, no, that's a bad thing. But as you're going through the drive-thru, you see Obama taking your money and he's in a minimum wage job and he's given up all his endorsements and he lives in a, a, a house that's provided by the state. He, he, he has humbled himself entirely. And then you go to the next place and, and Trump hands out your fries and you just make sure he hasn't spat in it. But anyway, you take them and as you're going around, there's Boris picking up the litter. Although that could be slightly above his capacity. No, no, we don't, we don't say that. That's a political thing to say. But you get the point. These are, these are shocking things, unexpected things. And that was the extent of Jesus' love. It was a, a service, a sacrificial service, a, hum, a humiliating, humiliating, humbling service. He humbled himself taking the form of a servant. He who was in very nature God did not, as we were referring to, emptied himself of all but love. He did not take the, um, the did not take all the dignity of love of, of the Godhead, but emptied himself and being found in the form of a servant, humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. This is the extent of his love. It is a prediction of the cross. You can see the grace in this. Jesus is not loving his disciples because he needs their approval or their affection back. He, he's not doing this to get something for himself. It's not a need love or a um, codependency. Jesus, verse 3, knew that the Father had put all things under his power 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up. He knew where he came from and where he was going. And having loved his own who are in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. It is grace that we're seeing here. He loved them when they were in the world, when they did not deserve his love. He loved them now to serve them because he was strong in his own identity and person. So we see the full extent of his love and we see his grace in this. And of course we see his glory, the glory of his cross. This is looking back and looking forward to the cross. If you want to turn back to chapter 12. Before we do that, just mention verse six, 7, which refers back. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. They haven't understood about the cross. They haven't understood about, as Jesus says, the seed that needs to die or the Son of Man that needs to be lifted up. They haven't understood. So he's referring not just in, to washing his feet. He's referring to what washing feet points forward to. And so in John chapter 12, verse 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. His cross. I tell you the truth, unless an ear of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Um, Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Did you catch all the references to glory and cross? This is a loving service, but it's a sacrificial service. He gave up his dignity to do this. But looking forward to the cross, he's giving up more than his dignity. Although he did do that too. He was, he despised the shame, but the whole point of a cross is to shame people. He gave up his life. He gave up communion, felt communion with the Father. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we through him might become the righteousness of God. This is the forerunning of a sacrificial service. In all service is sacrificial. You have to give up something if you're going to serve. I'm going to embarrass David Dutton here as use him as an example. But, you know, when you, in the case of the vacancy, say, well, I can spend Wednesday in vacancy helping out. I'll come and lead um, the Bible study on that lunchtime, and I'll visit people in the afternoon. 
and then says later, well, I'll also look after the students with Marjorie, and then says, oh, I'll do the session clerk. Um, that's giving up time he could otherwise use. It's giving up mental energy. He's sacrificing that which he could place on other things. He's giving something that he will not be able to take back, and it's a sacrifice to do that. Jesus, his service is a sacrifice, and he's come to serve us later by dying for us that we might live. So we see the end of his love, the full extent of his love in his loving service. And then verses 6 to 11, we see the extent of his love in his loving sharing. Here we are with uh, Peter. My goodness, what an aren't you glad for Peter? Because he makes idiots like us look really good sometimes, doesn't he? Um, what a man, great Peter. Uh, we've made so many faux pas ourselves, if you know anything in the Christian life, but Peter makes us realize that there's grace even for um, the stupidest among us. And he doesn't realize what he's saying again, as we were thinking about the transfiguration. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You do not realize. And so Peter has to submit to his Savior. He has to receive grace, and he doesn't understand that. (laughs) He's lived with him for almost three years, still doesn't understand the fullness of grace. You do not realize now what I am doing. Later you will understand, i.e. after the cross and after the resurrection, you will understand what this service to you means when I wash your feet. But he says, you'll never wash me. Verse 8, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. No part with me. That's where I get the notion of sharing. Jesus serves the disciples not just that he can forgive them, but that they can share his life, they can see his glory, they can know his friendship. He wants not servants but friends. He's going to say that later. Look across to chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. To be with me. That you also may be where I am. Or in his great prayer in in chapter 17, he pleads with the Father in uh, verse 24 for us, for believers. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Listen, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you won't be with me. You'll have no part with me. You'll have no inheritance with me. You'll have no share. You need to let me serve you. And that also we see the glory of his grace in that. Um, He needed to sit and be served. We find that hard to accept in our pride. That's evident in all that we do 
in our worship service, not all, but most of what we do in our service, we sit down to receive the word read and preached. We sit down to pray. We stand in response to praise. But there's this um, figure that's going on in our liturgy and in our service that reminds us everything about our Christian life is a receiving before we stand to give and to serve. We sit down to receive, to get grace before we go out to be gracious. Baptism reminds us of this. Nobody baptizes themselves. We receive baptism. Unless you receive the cleansing from Jesus, you have no part with me. We don't go and grasp baptism. We don't say, I baptize me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We receive baptism. Everyone does before they come into membership of the visible church. We receive communion. The institution of communion, you know, I passed on to you that which I received from the Lord. So Paul had received and he passes it on to us that we may receive. Yes, we take communion, but really what we're doing is we are receiving communion. These, these things all point to the, to the grace that lies at the heart of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that you may believe he is the Christ and that the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name, we receive by faith. And so we see that. He's sharing himself. He wants a place for us with him. And we so easily say, well, what do you really want? What's the catch? Does it really cost nothing? And he says, I don't want anything. I want you He takes us as we are to make us like himself so that we can be at home with him. A loving sharing. And notice he's doing more through grace than Peter realized. You do not understand what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And that's the case for every Christian Jesus is always doing more in our life and for us than we fully understand. Before we consciously, fully came to faith and believed in him for salvation, he was at work in our lives, leading and guiding, moving our thoughts, inspiring our hearts, changing our temperament, our conscience. Um, He was doing more than we realized. In the trials of our life, likewise he's doing that. He's doing more than we realize. We don't know what he's about, but we, but we trust by faith that he's about something good. He's here to save us and serve us. And he's doing more than we realize concerning the blessings of the life to come as well. You do not understand. <laughs> I can give you hints and glimpses about it, but you don't fully understand And for that reason, we need to submit by faith. One day we will share in his glory. That is the full extent of his love. And then the third, this is the easiest bit for many people to preach on. It's the example, verses 12 to 17. But the full extent of Jesus' love is seen in how lovingly he sends us out. Um, 
I tell you the truth, verse 16, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So we're sent out to speak about him and to serve him. He is the, as he said, the great example. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. So he's the great, great um, example. Do you understand, he says, what I have done for you? Do you understand who I am, first of all? Lord and teacher, Christ and Savior, do you understand that? I serving you rather than you serving me. Do you understand? And do you understand what I have done for you? Okay, I've washed the feet, but I'm going to die for you. So I'm sending you out. I've explained who I am. You tell people who I am. I've shown you what it means to be a servant. You be like me. Be like Jesus. Be a servant. In verse 17, he rounds up the lesson, as it were, this wonderful word. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We have to receive the blessing of grace first. But having received that blessing, we are to become a blessing for others. From blessedness to blessing. That's what he's saying. Be an example. Follow in my steps. Take the path of humility to serve. Give up what you could otherwise keep for the sake of the gospel for the sake of your brothers and sisters. Speak about me and show me. I don't know how many of you know uh, the classic poem by uh, George Herbert called Love Bade Me Welcome. I'm not going to read it out, but I'm going to try and take the, the essence of it and tell the story of it, as it were, as an example of what it means to be sent in loving service. So, Love bade me welcome is the first line. So he's talking about Jesus. Love bade me welcome, but I, I, I held back because I was guilty and aware of my sin. I was aware that I'm just dust and he is full of glory. I was aware that I am sin and he is pure. So I held back. But love is quick-eyed. It noticed. He noticed. And seeing me holding back, he drew near to me. And questioned with a sweetness, John, do you need anything? George, do you need anything? And of course, George said, well, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm a a guest, yes. I'm not worthy to be here. And Love said, well, okay, you can be my guest. And George said, no, I can't possibly be your guest. I'm the unkind one. I'm the ungrateful one. I can't even look upon you, you whom I love. And love took a hold of George's hand and with a smile on his face said, look, I made your eyes. Don't I know that you can look upon me? George yet again said, well, that's true, Lord, but you know, I have made such a mess of things. I'm so ashamed. Just let me go where I really deserve to be. 
it's not with you, it's anywhere else. And love said, don't you know by this time, George, that there was one who bore the blame and it isn't you? And his eyes opened and George said, I love you. I'm going to serve you. But love said, no, you must first sit down, take my communion, eat of me. Then you can serve. And so George sat down and feasted. And there's the poem ended. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand even a little more now than you did earlier? That's my prayer. His intense desire is to show you the full extent of his love. He loves you to the end, to the end of time, even to eternity. He has a purpose for you. He wants to lead you into a blessed life to be a blessing. And so the question that I leave with you How much do you want him? How much do you want him? The promise is your desire can never empty his stores of love and grace. Let's pray. You create the thirst in our hearts, our parched throats, our our dry um, tongue and mouth. You create that desire for life, and you give the gift of faith, and you open our blind eyes. We see your glory, and we believe and receive refreshment. But we know that every day we need to have our renewed thirst helped, satisfied, quenched by our great Savior. So this day we thank you. And from the overflow of our hearts, we ask your help to be more like you in what we say and what we do. In your name, amen.